I don't wanna be the boy that runs in the back I don't wanna be the kid that falls in the dark All I really want to be is a guy that gets that girl Welcome to the AJ Steele Show We discuss politics, sex, money, and everything in between And now, here's your host, an immigrant, a self-made millionaire an American, A.J. Steele. Dear friends, a couple of days ago, there was a Christmas tree lighting ceremony in New York City. It's a very beautiful event that happens every year, and it symbolizes the birth of Jesus and the beginning of the holiday season here in America. A week previous to that event, an online call went out to hundreds of thousands of third world Muslims who live here and to Antifa and to BLM to disrupt this celebration, which at this point is as American as apple pie. It's become so American that even Jews and non-religious people look forward to it. And then when that special evening arrived, those terror-supporting Muslims and their America-hating lefty buddies, they didn't disappoint. They did exactly what they promised they would do. They showed up in their filthy Arab garb and their anti-American signs and their anti-Semitic slogans and their violence and their vandalism. I don't know if you know this, but there are over 220 million Christians living in America. 220 million Christians and about 3 million Muslims. Now, out of those 220 million Christians, not even 10 real men decided to come out there and stand up to those Muslim lowlifes who spit in the face of everything this country stands for. Not even 10 men showed up. Where were all these tough-talking gold crucifix-wearing Italians and Irish and Puerto Ricans and blacks? Why didn't they stand up for their religion? Why didn't they stand up for their culture? What happened to American men? Ladies and gentlemen, Welcome to the AJ Steele Show. If you think that I'm in rare form today, you're absolutely right. In today's episode, we have an interview with a brilliant man who doesn't mince words either, and he has paid a very stiff professional price for those words. He is an esteemed law professor and media personality, and his name is Thane Rosenbaum. And believe me when I tell you that you don't want to miss what he had to say about Jews and Christians, and yes, about those Muslims and the danger that they posed to the long-term survival of our nation. But he also gave me his thoughts about Obama and about the college professors who are teaching our kids. I shouldn't say teaching, I should say indoctrinating our kids. And he even talked a little bit about being a plaintiff in a new lawsuit against UC Berkeley or Berserkly, as we call it here in the Bay Area. But before we get to the good professor, I wanted to say some personal things which may sound hokey and overly sentimental to you. Maybe it's just the fact that Thanksgiving came and went and most of my kids flew back to college. Or maybe it's just the glumness of winter. But like it or not, my words come from the heart. Look, I know that today's world can be a very dark place. And I know that good news can be very hard to come by. But sometimes even in the deepest moments of despair, we find little sparks of light and hope. And to me, these sparks come when I see everyday heroes everywhere I look. Men and women who take it upon themselves to set this world right, regardless of any consequence. Last month, I was visiting my Hawaii home just 
to get away from all the craziness out here in California. And I ended up doing some unexpected renovations. Our washer dryer leaked and the entire wood floor was destroyed. You don't want to ask. But getting back to my story, my wife, my 18-year-old son, and I were starving for some calories, and we're driving around with a truck full of wood flooring looking for some junk food to eat, and we just happened to get lost in an industrial area of Hawaii. And yes, Hawaii does have industrial areas. It's not all rainbows and surfing and Mai Tais. Anyway, we found ourselves driving in a very modest neighborhood when all of a sudden my son yells out, look, dad, it's an Israeli flag. So naturally, I did a double take because California, where I live most of the year, and Hawaii, where I live part of the year, are both insanely progressive. And flying the Israeli flag, despite the fact that 1,200 innocent Israelis were butchered by the Muslim so-called Palestinians, flying that flag of the Jewish people is tantamount to being a Nazi, according to the left. And in many cases, showing any kind of support out here for Israel or for Jewish people leads to a lot of screaming and threats of violence from Muslim street thugs and their BLM buddies. But my son was right. The Israeli flag was fluttering proudly in those Hawaiian trade winds right below a beautiful American flag and right next to a very humble little church. The type of church that has those old corrugated metal roofs. The type of church that needs a new carpet and has old plastic chairs instead of pews. The kind of church where real Christians go to pray. Not a church where people go to see and be seen. The next morning happened to be Sunday. And we were flying home, so our time was very short. But I made sure to stop there and personally thank that brave pastor and his beautiful Hawaiian flock. I also gave him a donation, which he refused at first. He told me that he flew the flag because it was the right thing to do, not because he wanted any kind of a reward. The right thing to do. What a concept. You see, this pastor and his church are some of those sparks of hope that I told you about in the beginning of this show. But sometimes those sparks also come from our very own families. This Thanksgiving, Mrs. Steele and I were besides ourselves because all of our kids came from college and our eldest daughter flew in from Kansas along with our three grandkids. But her husband wasn't there. He wasn't able to make it to Thanksgiving this year. He was actually eating military rations somewhere in frozen Eastern Europe alongside all the troops that he commands. You see, men and women of our military, much like the brave Israeli soldiers defending their nation, are the reasons you and I are free to live out our lives and to speak our minds and to enjoy a Thanksgiving meal with our friends and family. And that's a truth that no lefty idiot America hater could ever change. And all of this brings me back to today's guest, Thane Rosenbaum. You see, some heroes are big and tough men and women who guard our borders. Some are men of the cloth and some are men of means who use their money for the greater good. But some heroes, they happen to be folks who just speak up about things that we all know to be factual and logical and redeeming and truthful. And yet the rewards they get for saying those things are constant threats to their lives and being ostracized personally and professionally. This is a sad state of affairs here in America. This is a sad statement about free speech and free thought. 
And if we continue to ignore this growing totalitarianism and left-wing fascism in every facet of our lives, we may very well be making the single most fatal error in the history of our nation. But listeners always ask me, AJ, what can the little people do? Well, I'll tell you what you can do. You can speak your minds. Don't let the left bully you. Speak your mind at the grocery store, the office, your kid's basketball game, your church, your synagogue. Never cower. Let the other side know that they're not the only ones in this world. And the more we speak up, many more like us will follow us and do the same thing. Stop whispering that you're tired of Black Lives Matter and all the Muslim thugs in our streets. Stop hiding the fact that you have had it with LGBTQ indoctrination in our schools and you have had it with third world illegal aliens. The more you talk, the more you'll realize that you're not alone because free speech is infectious and we're not alone. Look, I've had enough of hearing about this silent majority. It's way past time for us to be the loud and proud American majority. Ladies and gentlemen, before we take our first break, I would like to tell you that our show continues to get bigger and bigger every day. As a matter of fact, our Spotify and iTunes downloads grew by 261% over last year alone. And we hit top 10 ratings in many markets, including here in the US and all over the world. Last month, our show even hit number one in the Virgin Islands. And yes, I'm not kidding. I didn't even know anybody listens to the AJ Steele show in the Virgin Islands, but we are number one. And all of this without anyone owning us or anybody telling me what to say or do. And that's the way I plan to keep it. I don't need them and I don't need their money. And I will never ask you for yours. But I will ask you for something. I will ask that you please continue subscribing and listening to the AJ Steele show. And to please keep spreading the word about us to your family and friends. And one more request. I hope you stick around for our interview with Thane Rosenbaum. He's a distinguished university professor. He's the legal analyst for CBS News Radio. He's the director of the Forum on Life program hosted by Toro College. And he even has some time left over to write essays for the Jewish Journal. And one more thing that I will personally attest to. He's an all-around real nice guy. This is the AJ Steele Show, and we will be right back. The AJ Steele Show. Think of your loudmouth best friend, hated by all the wives, because he tells it just like it is. Professor Rosenbaum, first of all, I wanted to thank you for coming on the AJ Steele Show. I've been a fan of your work for many years, especially your 92Y interviews. And I always find it refreshing to hear a Jewish thinker who still dares to call things the way they are, instead of bowing to the fascists on the left who do their best to subjugate us with their oppressive veneer of political correctness. Welcome to the AJ Steele Show. Good intro. Thanks, AJ. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Tucker Carlson said something controversial about October 7th, uh, the massacre of 1,400 Jews in Israel. He said, and I quote, I hated watching that, and I feel so sorry for the Israelis who were killed. However, 
there's an emotional response that is disproportionate on the part of some commentators. Now, I'm not here to attack Tucker because even I had some non-Jewish family members who told me that they don't understand why I've been so depressed about this massacre, especially considering that I have a wonderful life here in San Francisco and none of my family members or friends in Israel were hurt. My question to you is why is it that so many Jews have been so deeply affected by this war? Why is there such a deep sense of dread? Well, AJ, I think part of it is a kind of, um, you know, a kind of uh, expectation in the last 20 some odd years that Jews have reached the mainstream, that there may be anti-Semitism, but it's mostly latent and underneath the surface, uh, that there doesn't appear to be any prohibitions from Jewish elevation in societies, no jobs restrictions, no country club restrictions. Just remember what's changed over the last number of decades. There were hotels in Florida that said no Jews, blacks, or dogs are allowed. Jews and blacks had this for many years, even in the post-war era. So the civil rights movement, of which Jews were very much a part, uh, in a way also affected and, you know, anti-Semitism. Ivy League schools all of a sudden. It wasn't just African-Americans, but Jews were more widely accepted. So, you know, they had thought, I think, perhaps naively, that anti-Semitism was, was over uh, and that Jews are now, you know, patriotic Americans who have made contributions to all walks of American culture, society, literature, journalism, law, medicine, sciences, and, and, and are appreciated for it. Uh, and that Jews can even take a Jewish joke, right? <laughs> that that's how much they had, they had reached the mainstream. So I just think that what they've seen since October 7th, the grotesqueness of the killings, the programist that it resembled so much the stories that grandparents used to say mm -hmm. about their villages in Ukraine, that, you know, the idea, the bloodthirstiness in, in the bright light of day, early in the morning, you know, that that could, and also the, the barbarism, right? Beheadings of children, of infants, beheadings, mass rapes of teenage girls, and then, you know, slicing them in half or slicing off their organs or their breasts. So there was just, I think, I would hope to think, or should have been, uh, just a general response of shock by all decent, civilized people. But I think for Jews, what was shocking that on October 8th, you started to hear people who were very casual about what happened and that were not, you know, openly condemning Hamas for monstrosities and atrocities and that tried to see, tried to reach a balance you know, in a, in a world that now focuses on balance so much that, you know, of course, this is you hear the word all the time. There's a lot of nuance. There's a lot mm -hmm. of complexity. Those are the words. Once you hear someone say nuance and complexity, you're talking, AJ, to a person that is unprepared to make moral distinctions. You know, of they're course. afraid they're afraid to say right and wrong. And so I think Jews were shocked that they're even among progressives who they marched with, whether it's feminists or African-Americans or gay rights, none of them were standing up for Jews and what happened in Israel. So I think that's the reaction. I don't think it's an overreaction. I think it makes sense given the, sh the shock of the event and the, I would just say the, sh the, dis the profound disappointment 
that people didn't respond to this in the way that they did to even the George Floyd murder. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this was 1,200 people killed, you know, 200 taken hostage. Some of them were Americans. Americans, how could university students or people on the streets of America be chanting in favor of Hamas or from the river to the sea, knowing that Americans were taken? Where, where was the patriotism in these mobs that gather outside of bridges and Thanksgiving Day parades? You know, there's always been a double standard when it came to the Jews, and I think we lulled ourselves into a sense of uh, security that never was there. Um, my grandparents were Holocaust survivors. I know your parents were Holocaust survivors. We've heard these stories before. And I think that we're in an existential dilemma. I mean, I've been thinking that it might actually be over for the Jewish people. What are your thoughts on that? Is this a second Holocaust coming? So, AJ, you know me. I, I, you know, no one invites me to speak unless they're prepared for a dark cloud. You know, I, I'm, I'm always the bearer of bad news, you know. So I would have said this years ago if I'd been on, if you had your podcast and, you know, your cup, you know, I know that you have very devoted listeners and you're really good at this. You, if you, if you had your show, if there was such a thing as podcast 10 years ago, I don't think there were, but if there was such a thing and AJ Steele had called me, I would have said to you, as I've been writing about for 10 years, has anyone taken a look at the Jews of France, Stockholm, London, Madrid, and Brussels? If you could, for the for 10 minutes, spend less time thinking about renovating your kitchen. I understand, Jews, you're really good at renovating kitchens in the United States. <laughs> but once you do, once you get the marble picked out and the right tile, I get it. At some point, will you turn to your brothers and sisters in Europe where the Holocaust actually happened and where in France all kinds of gruesome attacks were taking place. I've written about this many times. I could run through the list. It's like shocking what was happening. And no, no Jews, you know, Jewish grandmothers, one uh, was a Holocaust survivor, burned alive in her apartment, another thrown from her balcony, uh, a, a boy, Elon Halimi, tortured for three weeks and then burned. By the way, all these crimes were committed by Muslims, where Muslims have moved to Europe and have brought with them the Arab street the Arab, you know, bloodlust for Jews. And so I'm not, I'm not surprised entirely by this. I would say that America, for all, for all sorts of reasons, was insulated from it. But if you were in London and you were Jewish, you would say 10 years ago, I no longer wear a kippah and I no longer wear a Star of David. So I, I, I would share in your pessimism, I'm very pessimistic about where we're headed. Because the last several weeks, the shocking lack of outrage about what happened to Israelis and the sympathy for murderers. Yeah. I mean, again, it's this isn't even about Palestinians. This is about Hamas. People are actually defending. They're afraid to or they refuse to condemn the actions. If you can't condemn the actions of Hamas, you really must hate Jews. You, there's nothing there's nothing else we could say because that's a no-brainer right it's one thing to say i'm really i'm sensitive to palestinian pain or mm. pa palestinian isolate whatever it is <laughs> i've heard it and i could i could make the argument for the palestinians if they wanted me i could make their argument but i can't make the argument for hamas i can't make the argument for islamic jihad so the fact that people are actually making that argument is very scary 
So I can make the argument that Hamas is the Palestinians and the Palestinians are Hamas. But are you telling me that this is bigger than just Muslims hating Jews? Are you telling me that this is the Christian world? Are you telling me this is the, the liberal world or the intelligentsia? Is, is this where the problem is? Yeah, well, let me just say, I'm not disagreeing about that. I would say Gazans and Hamas are the same, hmm. mostly. I don't know if that's entirely true of the West Bank. It's true. Polling indicates that if Hamas was running for office in the West Bank, they'd win too. So they would win there. They'd win everywhere. But the Gazans are a special category. And this is something that everyone is afraid to acknowledge. I wrote about it in 2014 for the Wall Street Journal. I wrote about what what does an innocent civilian look like in Gaza? And I was hammered around the world because I wrote as a law professor and I said, the Geneva Convention never had the Gazans in mind when they talked about civilians. Never. They never thought that there were civilians that would invite you into your home and let you use your home as a command center. Uh, give up your children willingly. This business of Hamas, they're not stealing anything from the Gazans. The Gazans are saying, take my child, please. Yep. Make him a martyr for the next life. Make him a martyr. Please kill my child. This is the kind of stuff, you, you know, when I say this, I'm a racist, I'm an Islam. It is what it is. You may not like the implications of what I'm saying, but it is what it is. So I, I don't make the broad generalization of Palestinians, but I think Gazans are nuts. Something is not right. Their commitment to the Muslim Brotherhood, their commitment to the Quran, their commitment to Hamas is at a very different level of adherence to principles. Well, and what, what they what they want is dead Jews. And anyone who isn't recognizing that really doesn't understand the dilemma. But I will say, no, I don't think it's Christians in the United States. I think it is clearly the progressives. Mm -hmm. Look, I'm a liberal, right? I'm I I, I, haven't, I haven't changed. I'm still I'm a registered Democrat. People don't believe that. I'm saying I'm a registered Democrat. I'm a liberal. I'm just not stupid. I'm not a progressive. I don't pretend that everyone who's a person of color is innocent. I just don't, that makes no sense to me. And it doesn't make sense to me that anyone who is white is guilty. That just doesn't make sense to me. I don't see the world in binary terms, oppressor and oppressed. I don't see it that way. So I will say in universities where unfortunately I've spent most of my life, we've lost a generation or two to a bunch of Marxist low life professors, people mm. who really couldn't get a job anywhere else and shouldn't have had a job even at universities. Really, low mentality, low character. I, I, I know too many of these people. They're nobodies. They're only somebodies because they have tenure. But without tenure, they're nobodies. And they're hateful. They hate America. They hate uh, liberalism. They hate freedom. They hate anything that's white. And among and many of them are white, which means they hate themselves. They, they, they have devoted a career to self-hatred. So that, that is a very different category. And they are the ones standing beside Muslims in these large gatherings of protests that seem to be celebrating Hamas. It is mostly made of the progressive world, you know, whatever they look like, whether universities or outside of universities, many of them are jobless, mm. just lazy, just just people of exceptionally low character. Who else would be cheering on the beheading of babies other than people of exceptionally low moral value?
The AJ Steele Show will be right back. You are listening to the AJ Steele Show, where no topic is off limits, no discussion too harsh, no truth more true. The AJ Steele Show, we tell it like it is. So I agree with everything you're saying, but I'll take an exception with one thing you said. You said that you're a registered Democrat. At what point can we still play in that game? Well, I'm a liberal, I'm a libertarian, I'm this and that. I disagree with everything a Democratic Party does, and yet I still vote Democrat. I hear that from a lot of Jews. No, no, but let me just say those Jews are progressives. I'm a liberal. I'm an old school 19th century Mm -hmm. liberal. That has nothing to do with being a Democrat or Republican. What I am, I'm not an ideologue. I'm not a crazy person who says, if you don't believe what I believe, you're, you, you're morally debased. I don't think like that. I'm prepared to listen to make two arguments, hold them in different hands, and just, and contemplate them for a while. I don't, I wouldn't cancel people. I don't banish people. I don't, in, I just, just, I'm a liberal. I'm open to ideas. So among registered Democrats, yes, I think you're right. That is a a serious question that people like me, I'm thinking of just changing to being independent because I I increasingly have nothing in common with my party and my party has becoming increasingly anti-Semitic. So it's wrong, I think, for me to be calling myself a member of the Democratic Party. I have no qualms about saying that I'm a liberal because I think a liberal is a compliment. A liberal True. is to say, I'm not a crazy person. I will not not speak to you if you say something nice about Donald Trump. I won't. I won't say my children can't play with your children if you believe that America should be supporting Israel. I just don't. I don't come from a world. I come from a world of open inquiry, open debate. This I've written a book on free speech. I have very strong feelings about what the founding fathers intended with free speech, and we certainly don't have free speech anymore, not in the not in the public sphere and certainly not on the college campus. I also believe in free speech. I'm not a liberal, but uh, I do believe in a lot of liberal values, and that's how I live my life. I want to get back to the war in Israel, if you don't mind, and depression and heartache. And I'll preface it with the fact that I've always believed that Israel will be overrun by the Arabs sooner or later. I just never thought it would happen in my lifetime. What do you think about the state of the war over there in Gaza? To me, it seems that despite 50 years of bombing, 50 days of bombing, I should say, Israel is not really winning anything. Hamas is out there in the street in full force, displaying their colors, playing psychological games with the hostages and with the entire nation. And meanwhile, we have Biden and the Obama administration, you know, they're interchangeable. They're basically forcing the Israelis to fight with their eyes closed and with one hand tied behind their back. Where do you see this thing going? Well, you're raising an important point. In 2014, again, that essay in the Wall Street Journal was very controversial, got a lot of attention, uh, in which I basically said there's a difference between Gazan civilians and innocent civilians. I'm not sure they're innocent. I'm pretty sure some of them are civilians, but innocent is very different, very, very different. So, again, I remember during that time, of course, Barack Obama, who, again, saw Israel as white people who are essentially, you know, guilty of being white and oppressive and saw Palestinians as brown people that had to be, you couldn't, you can't say anything negative about a brown skinned person. 
And you know, remember, Obama, he didn't believe in American exceptionalism. You know, he was laying down the, the path. You know, and by the way, the progressives who believed they elected him felt betrayed by him because they wanted him to be the president like now. Right. They that's who they thought he would be. No. He, he couldn't do it at that time. But he was basically throughout those eight years indicating who he really was. Yeah. Who was he really? Mm. He just he just politically wasn't able to make the move. If Obama was president today, look out. It would have been just look out because he's got the landscape that he loves. This landscape of America is not a force for good. It's a force for bad. White people are the cause of racism and oppression. Unfortunately, that's the progressives creed. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the crew of people that follow Obama as a god, Uh, not as a former president, but as a god who they disappointed in because he didn't actually fulfill. And hey, by the way, I voted for Obama just to show my, you know, I'm very intellectually honest. I'll be honest. I, I regret a lot of political yeah. things that I, but I mean, I, 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 I had, I had more hope for him. I did. And, and so, and especially the end with the failure of the United Nations to, uh, mm. what's the word? Not, uh, to, uh, I think it was to veto, not the, veto, not yes. veto, uh, resolution two, three, three, four, that I thought that send off that he gave to Jews was really disgraceful. But I will say I, there was a time where he did ask Netanyahu for a ceasefire. Uh, you can look this up. Within an hour of the ceasefire, a Hamas terrorist came through a tunnel and tried to kidnap an Israeli soldier. And because he was resisting, he killed the soldier and left. And I'll never forget what Netanyahu said at the time. And I'm surprised he hasn't said it now. I think he feels a little more vulnerable because of what happened. And this happened under his watch. But he said, are you ready for this? And it made, I will never again let it be told by someone and he was referring to Obama, who's never served in the army. You know, just he just is not in, but he could not possibly be less qualified for commander in chief of anything. Right. He never had a job, never, never served in the army, couldn't serve in the army, would have been terrible at it. And he was basically Netanyahu saying, I'm not going to let a clown like you. He didn't say a clown like you, but I'm not going to let a clown like you. Tell me about my region, right? And I think that that's going to happen again, AJ. Mm. At some point, Netanyahu is going to have to pull out of cobwebs that thing that he said. He's going to say, Mr. President Biden, I am very grateful for the support that you've given and the military support and other sources of aid. I'm very grateful for so many of the things that we've said. But with respect, Mr. Biden, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. You don't have you don't know what this region is. You don't you've never you, you've never hung out with the people from Hamas. You know, remember, one of the reasons why Obama was such a sucker for the Iran deal is because he was so arrogant to think if I can just sit down with the mullahs and love, they'd I love remember. me. I have a nice smile. I'll talk to them about college basketball. Surely the Ayatollahs know about college basketball. I know they follow. This is to, to Obama. Everyone was like to him. Every meeting was like a meeting of the University of Chicago faculty lounge. Mm-hmm. Right. He saw them and right. He didn't understand. He's, he was not well traveled in my mind, not well educated. I don't care where he went to school. He and I were at Columbia at the same time. None of us ever knew who he was. 
Mm. So I don't know what he was doing there, but no one from Columbia actually remembers him at that time. So I'm just saying he's not read enough books in my mind about that region. He got very bad advice from the same people that are now working in the Biden State Department, like Blinken, like O'Malley, like Sullivan. Thank God one of them has lost his security clearance. Mm. But I'm saying there is a kind of mentality that, of course, you can negotiate. Of course, you can reason. Of course. And I'm saying my response to him today, again, I thought he was I thought it was outrageous. And I loved what uh, what Netanyahu said about him at the time. But I was going to say, what is it about the beheading of 40 babies that you didn't understand? Yeah. What, what is it that you didn't see, Mr. Obama? What is it when you hear that? Right. You have two daughters. That's what I would say. If I, Mr. O, Mr. Former President, you actually have two daughters. What is it about the gang raping and and tearing the vaginas and 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 cutting off breasts of teenage girls? What is it about you as a father of two daughters doesn't seem to understand? So how much are you blinded by the hatred of people of who are not people of mm-hmm. God that you That's- can't see savagery when you're savagery is being introduced to you and you can't recognize it and acknowledge what it is? But I will finish this point with the main question you ask. I think that the world is kidding itself if it doesn't understand. Israel doesn't need the United States now. They can take care of business. They can handle Iran, Hezbollah, and Hamas on their own. I have no doubt. I've never had. I remember I had dinner once with uh, Ehud Barak not long ago. He was the mm. former uh, prime minister of Israel who was still to this day the most decorated soldier in IDF history. And Barak said the following thing. And I remember I was shocked. He said, for us, Iran is a three-week operation. I was so thrilled to hear that. So I'm just saying, I don't think when you said Arabs overrunning, I just don't believe that. I believe that in the United States, that Arabs can easily overrun the Jews. The Jews will be too afraid. They'll be too progressive. They'll be too tied to the Democratic Party. They'll assume, let's just talk about college basketball. The American Jews will try to tell the Arab street when it erupts and burns American flags They're going to do an Obama thing. Can't we just discuss college basketball? And they're not going to want to. They're going to want what they want, which is dead Jews. I have less confidence in the Jewish future of America than I have confidence in Israel's future in the world. Our interview with Thane Rosenbaum will continue right after this break. AJ Steele, not right, not left, just right. Well, that's pretty scary, and not all Jews will just lay down and go to the gas chambers again. I can promise you that. Now, uh, as far I, as I, Obama- where are they? No, I want to know where are they? Why is Deborah Messing the only actress in Hollywood that will speak? Why is it that John Voight, for decades now, John Voight, oh, how is guy. he the only person in Hollywood that will speak up for Israel? Why? Why? And I'll tell you who they are because I follow them. Mark Ruffalo, Vito Morganson, Selena Gomez, 
John Legend. I hope everyone's taking notes. And I'll, I'll come with a John Cusack. I, I think I, there's a few more. Mm-hmm. Why are Jews buying tickets for their movies? Why is anyone downloading a Selena Gomez song? These people are, they're either Jew haters or imbeciles. There's a combination of both, perhaps. Uh, we saw Susan Sarandon finally receive some consequences. Angelina Jolie is now in that category. Why are there not Jews standing up against them? So when you say, believe me, we won't lay down, I don't see it. I'm sorry. For years have been saying to trustees from universities, stop writing checks to NYU and these other schools. They won't. They love to be a trustee. To be a trustee is so cool to them. So I just, I don't, I'm sorry. I'm not saying when I look at them and I say, only now are we starting to see Reverend Mark Rowan at University of Pennsylvania, Bill Ackman at Harvard. But this should have happened years ago. This anti-Semitism has been percolating and galvanized for years at many of these universities. You may not know this, but I am one of the plaintiffs in the lawsuit that was filed against Berkeley Law School. So I you. think I'm plaintiff number 12. Um, so I'm just saying, but I, I've spoken at Berkeley when I walked into the auditorium, people handed out flyers that said, Thane Rosenbaum believes in killing Palestinian children. When I got up to the podium, people were pounding on the desks. And I remembered saying, you know, Berkeley is the birthplace of the free speech movement. Mm. Aren't you embarrassed that you actually are pounding on the, on the desks? But, but isn't that the problem? We try to fight things with logic when sometimes we need to fight things with guns. Now, Shimon Perez, who I met a couple of times and who was Israel's prime minister, he said that if a problem has no solution, it may not be a problem, but a fact not to be solved, but to be coped with over time. I know he was a lefty dove and I know that he was a true believer in peace with the Arabs, but could it be that his philosophy was dead wrong? Could it be that there's no solution and what he was proposing and non-solution of coping and management doesn't work? It's either us or them, no? The Palestinians have walked away from five offers of statehood, five. In each of those instances, they were receiving over 95% of what they purportedly said they wanted. Most people take deals like that. If you want a state, if nation building and statesmanship is what you're interested in, you've already got it. Bill Clinton, I'm not speaking for him, although I know him, I think he despises now the Palestinian leadership. He would have ended up in, as he left office, as one of the great statesmen in world history. He gave Yasser Arafat 98%, and Yasser Arafat came back with a second intifada. Not even a counteroffer. Not even, Mr. President, here's what I would like, 99.5%. So I just think at some point, now again, most of the people cheering for Hamas don't know what I just said. And by the way, they don't even care. So I just, that's why I'm saying I don't, I don't see a way out. You've got generations of Palestinian children that are still being taught from preschool to kill and hate Jews. So you, you've got a, um, uh, a, a, a governmental administration, a Palestinian authority, where the highest echelons are rewarded to people that were in Israeli prisons for committing acts of terror. You know, the pay for slave program, right? That pay for slave program where you're rewarded with permanent lifetime stipends, insurance benefits, health benefits, tuition benefits for your family. The more violence you commit against Jews, 
in the Middle East, the more money you get. And when you get out of prison, if you get out of prison, you're given a better job in the administration. Where are the partners for peace? Where will where are they? You know, you see Gaza during the days of rage. First of all, who talks like that? Days of rage? Animals, not even animals. Days of rage. If someone is saying that they're calling for days of rage, you're, you know you're not dealing with a civilized person. If you just look at them honestly, I just find it so appalling. We have to stop this impulse to say, let's dress up a terrorist, pretend he's wearing a suit, pretend that he joined the PTA, pretend that he's in the Elks Club, pretend that he's a good neighbor to other people and goodwill to other religions, pretend that he cares about his kids and the health of his children instead of using his human shields. Stop pretending what's not there. Stop yeah. treating them like statesmen where they're telling you we don't want to be statesmen. We want to be killers. If you're not going to wear a suit and you're always going to be wearing a kefi around your head so we can't see your face and you want to carry a machine gun and not a briefcase, your future is not a nation building co- country. That's clearly not what. And I think Arafat knew that he was, in fact, an imbecile, a thug. And he didn't really want the job of running a country, a job of building universities, building hospitals. It's too hard. The Israelis, let me just end with one last thought here. People don't remember. The Balfour Declaration starts off with Israel having the West Bank, Gaza, and Jordan. Correct. It would have been a gigantic country. Correct. It would have been huge. Somewhere in, as a concession during World War II, the British decided to, to give 60% of that away to Jordan to placate the Hashemite kingdom. At that point, you, if, they were, if the Jews were the Palestinians, they would have started blowing themselves up. But Jews didn't do that. They said, no, it's not exactly what we want, but we'll take the 40%. By 1947, in the partition plan, they were pulling Gaza and the West Bank out, which right. meant that at the end, Israel was getting about 30% of what it had been promised. And you know what Ben-Gurion said? We'll take it. We'll take 30%. You know why? We want to start this nation tomorrow. We got Nobel Prizes to win. We got land to irrigate water to desalinate, corporations to start. We're Jews. We're resourceful. We're going to make this place rock. And meanwhile, the Palestinians continue to sit in refugee camps, holding on to keys to homes they're never going to get back, and basically spending their time gritting their teeth, saying, that olive tree, I will only take that olive tree and no other olive tree. (laughs) If people could be more honest and recognize who we're dealing with, we would hear less stupid language about what should Israel do. I'll tell you what Israel shouldn't do. It shouldn't pretend that Hamas will change. And that's why this has to end without Israel being, and I don't believe they will buckle to international pressure. I don't. Mm. I believe they did in 2014. I believe there will be books written that will say that they had an opportunity to flatten Gaza in 2014, and they should have. There will be people who will make that case. Had Gaza been flattened in 2016 and all the tunnels destroyed and all the bombs, they didn't. They knew they left behind tunnels and rockets. And guess what happened nine years later? This.
Well, weakness doesn't work. And I do want to point out, you talked about Nobel Prizes, that Yasser Arafat also won one. So the Palestinians have Yeah, you good point. That could have been retracted, but but you wouldn't want to offend a man of color. No, not at all. Not at all. And you you know, I have a little color myself, but I don't count. But I want to get back to American Jews a little bit. A couple of weeks ago, you and I participated in a panel on a wonderful show called The Jew Function. I remember. And, And you said something that struck me as being painfully honest and extremely deflating. You said that there's no synergies for Jews because they've been betrayed by all the left-wing causes they supported, including the Democratic Party, Black Lives Matter, feminism, uh, LGBTQ, and all the rest of the professional victim associations. But in my opinion, the Jews are very small. In one way or another, they have to align themselves with other groups for survival. Why not the conservatives? Well, that is what I – I mean, you're raising a point. Again, I'm too cynical. I'm not, I'm not your right guy. I, I actually think that if, if there was a mass exodus from the Democratic Party to moderate Republicans and adding to that evangelical Christians, if you can add, you now have a serious alliance. Yeah. You have a very serious alliance. Jews, the, the, the 80% of the Jews that used to donate to Democratic causes joining moderate Republicans, and I'm saying who would have been moderate, like uh, guys like McCain and Joe Lieberman, right? I'm just saying more moderate Republicans. It doesn't have to be on the extreme. I'm not a big McCain fan, but Lieberman did a mea culpa after he retired, that's for sure. So, uh, right. So I'm saying I don't know whether Jews can do this because the problem is they want, the problem with Jewish Americans, as I have seen it, I'm 63 years old, They want to sit at the pool table in the cafeteria. Mm. That's all they care about. Unfortunately, too many of them are really shallow. They really, really want to sit at the cool kids table. And the cool kids table will always be pro-green energy, pro-Palestinian, anti-white, you know, anti-anything that is in this. I don't see the progressive movement going anywhere. I only see it getting larger. Mm-hmm. I only see AOC and her legion getting more powerful. I Scared. wish it were not true. So I don't know where Democrats Jewish will go. But I do think that if they did leave, that would create a very different balance of power. And I think it would put Jews in a very different position because they have discovered, as you pointed out, that what they perceived as hardened and alliances that they could rely upon they were betrayed, betrayed by the gay community, betrayed by feminism, betrayed by the civil rights movement, betrayed everywhere. They've been betrayed. And you you'll have what I call the stupid Jew factor, which is very, you know, Jews being smart is that's just, they're very overrated. Jews, I agree. Get in, Jews get into dental school. That doesn't mean they're smart or law school. Anyone can get into law school. But people who are gay that are marching for the pro-Palestinian side, women are marching for the pro-Hamas side. If you're Jewish and you're screaming from the river to the sea, you should be wearing a sign that says, just shoot me, I'm really stupid. But unfortunately, all throughout campuses and all throughout cities like San Francisco and Brooklyn, where I live, believe me, I'm I'm surrounded here by Brooklyn, by a lot of Jews, that want to sit at the cool table and the cool table means you have to you have to block the christmas tree lighting and the thanksgiving day parade 
and glue yourself, you know, with your Arab brothers <laughs> yeah. to hate those Israeli murderers and genocide. Professor Rosenbaum, there's a lot of mental illness and uh, schizophrenia amongst Jewish people, and they've never been accused of not being self-loathing. And I really don't think that's ever um, going to change. The A.J. Steele Show will be right back. You are listening to The A.J. Steele Show, where no topic is off limits, no discussion too harsh, no truth more true. The A.J. Steele Show, we tell it like it is. Professor, we covered a lot of topics, but we seem to have neglected the bigger picture. And the picture involves the nonstop violent protests of Arabs and their lefty buddies here in the U.S. and Europe. They've gone way past pure anti-Semitism and just criticizing uh, Israel. They are now calling for the destruction of America and Christianity. How do you see this playing out? So I, I hinted, hinted, I think, earlier in our talk, and I've written about it for my in my column, and I'm going to write more about it in this week for the Jewish Journal, but I've written it, mentioned this. America was not used to what's called the Arab street. We didn't know what that was. The Arab street was very familiar in North Africa, the Persian Gulf and Middle East, and became very familiar in Paris. Oh my God, the Parisians know the- Oh, I know. They know it, they know it. Americans, again, because they didn't even know what was happening to their co-religion, religiousness in Europe, didn't really understand the Arab street. And we have, in the last two weeks, it's very new, AJ, and I think you recognize this. America is being introduced to the first time to the Arab street. And what's the Arab street? It's something that we don't expect any other people to do. Death to America, death to Israel, death to British, British novelists, death to Danish cartoonists, death to the Pope, death, death, death. Who talks like that? Who allows people to talk like that, right? Only Arabs are given this license, permission, death, 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 beheadings and death. This is your contribution to humanity. So, and again, we don't see the quote moderate Arabs or moderate Muslims. They should be saying, we will not allow you to do this to our country in America. I'm wondering what's being said in mosques. Why are not uh, religious figures in Islam in America not saying we cannot let the Americans see the Arab street? We can't show them the Arabs. The Arab street is very ugly and it's big and it's murderous and violent and it makes us look like savages. I want to know where are the Muslim professors that are not on television saying I, as a Muslim, I'm embarrassed of my people. We should not be behaving this way. We do behave this way in Cairo and in Tehran and Amman and in Ramallah. Yeah, that's what we do. Unfortunately, too many Arabs, Muslims do this. But we will not allow that to take place here. Death, death, death. So I, I don't know. I, all I know is I'm a, a longtime human rights law professor. I've written many books and articles on the Constitution. I believe that there is no First Amendment right for these protests. And I'm in the minority. But my last book, Saving Free Speech from Itself, if anyone reads it, they will see that I would say there are the, the, the founding fathers 
had no interest in this. This is not what they had in mind. And there are doctrines, the fighting words doctrine, the true threats doctrine. There are legal doctrines that are tools that could be used to shut this down and arrest anyone. The next person that says river to the sea, we take you straight to jail and there's no bail. We take you straight to jail because you have you are attempting to incite a riot, an imminent riot. You are causing a, dep- a, a true denial of another person's right to citizenship. Right. right. And so I'm just saying, I don't know. All I'm saying is what's happening here. That's what's happening here. The vast majority of the people that are screaming are people who are Muslims and Arabs, and they have introduced the look of the Arab street to America. And America needs to recognize that this fight against Israel is a fight against the West. It's much bigger than Israel. Israel is small potatoes. They are interested in dismantling Western values, Western culture, Western civilization, the ideas of the Enlightenment. They are in love with the 12th century and they they want us all back there. New caliphate. Again, what I just said to you is considered racist. It's considered Islamophobic. It doesn't make a difference to me because I know it's not. And so I've been called a racist before and anyone's watching you, I'm sure there'll be some clip of what I just said. And I'm saying, do it, clip it and show it. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I actually believe that what I've just said is just true. It, again, we don't like the implications of what I just said, but it is what it is. That's what I always say. It is what it is. You may not like the, co- the implications of what it is, but this is what it is. And it would be a lot better if people spoke more honestly True. about what's going on. Just be more honest about what's happening instead of pretending that we all we have to do is dress up a terrorist in a nice suit, give him a briefcase. And the next thing you know, you know, he'll be trying to work on land use planning in Gaza. <laughs> they won't. You know, and you know who learned this the hard way? The Trump administration. I did a lot of media, Middle East analysts work on this. The Trump administration acted like real estate guys. Their Mm -hmm. position is if we invest $50 billion in Gaza and West Bank and build freeways between them, we will make the Palestinians the second richest Arabs in the world right behind the oil sheiks. That's why they called the plan from peace to prosperity. Interesting. The Palestinians don't care about cash. They don't seem to want their kids to go to law school. I wish they did. They're not interested in that. So the Trump administration thought you could buy them off with $50 billion. We will build hotels. I wrote for Haaretz 10 years ago what was then considered a humorous essay in which I said, if the Gazans, when Israel abandoned, withdrew from Gaza, if Hamas had turned to Sheldon Adelson, who's as right wing as you could be, yes. but he owns all those gambling yes, hotels yes. in Las Vegas and Macau and said, we have beautiful, by the way, not only beautiful beaches in Gaza, but some of the best surfing in the world. True. true. It's an amazing piece of land. It really is <laughs> an amazing. If Hamas wasn't a bunch of butchers, but they were statesmen, they would have said to Adelson, help us build glimmering hotels, shiny hotels all along our beachfront. Help us, show us what to do, and we will have this group. Nothing stopped Hamas from doing it. So when I hear the word occupation from a bunch of ignorant kids, and they don't understand that Gaza could have been Singapore, 
It could have been, it could have been Macau. Nothing stopped it, right? That's why we have to stop pretending and mm-hmm. recognize who we're dealing with. Well, I think it's a Western arrogance to think that they want the same things that we want. They don't. I always talk about it in my show and on Twitter and wherever else we have a presence that we both live in the same planet, but we live parallel lives and there's no true intersection. It just can't happen because they want different things than us. And the moment we realize that, the moment we stop being so arrogant and dress them up in suits, like you said, is the moment we'll know that there's nothing here. Let them live in their place. Let us live in our place. No intersection. Please stick around for the conclusion of our interview with Professor Thane Rosenbaum. The AJ Steele Show. Think of your loudmouth best friend, hated by all the wives, because he tells it just like it is. As far as bringing into Fada to America, you said that it's a recent thing, you know, the Arab street. Back in the 90s when I went to school, I got my bachelor's degree in SF State. Those things were happening even then in the early 90s. And those professors there were exactly. Yeah, the yeah. No, no, I understand. Today. No, I mean, I, I when I was at Fordham Law School, I, there were people at Columbia that I they I was asked to debate them. Professors that are still there. They refused to debate me. They're only interested in hearing themselves speak about right. how they, much they hate Jews. Right. But no, I, I, the difference, but you're, what you're raising is a very good point. The Arab street sort of existed, certainly in the California state system, for sure. Mm-hmm. And it existed in several of the important east side, east Atlantic coast. Important, schools. yes. Important, mm-hmm. yeah, important. But I will say, I, 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 look, I'm often wrong, AJ. I admit, I often, I remember in Israel lecturing many times in San it's confined to the university. It'll never leave. I said, you'll never see it outside. It'll never be adopted or co-opted outside. It never occurred to me that the New York Times would hire people like that and let them decide what the, what the paper should do. It never occurred to me that Disney would be intimidated by people that wear the Goofy costume. Why would anyone listen to someone wear it? I have nothing against Goofy. That Why do you care what the people selling hot dogs at the theme park think. <laughs> they just went to college. They're really, really stupid and uneducated. Mm-hmm. And maybe over time they will figure it out. But for you to be threatened that they're going to walk out. I would have said to the New York Times when they the people threatened that either withdraw the Tom Cotton op-ed or mm-hmm. we resign. I would have said, don't come back. Don't come back. We don't want you. You don't understand what a newspaper is. Clearly, you missed that day in class in journalism. You don't know what we do. This is the opinion page of the, of, the, of the New York Times. There are riots related to Black Lives Matter. Some of those riots are very violent. And Tom Cotton has the right as a U.S. senator to raise a question. Can we invoke the Insurrection Act and bring out the National Guard? That doesn't make him a racist. It makes him a guy that says we shouldn't have rioting in major cities, we shouldn't have riots. The fact that the New York Times had to apologize for the op-ed, and by the way, that's why Barry Weiss left. They mm. unloaded that whole staff. I remember. I remember. And, 
that that's where that all happened. So I'm saying, I if you would have said this stupidity that AJ saw in college was never going to leave college, but I was wrong. It left, it graduated, and it went to corporations, it went to museums, it went to nonprofit foundations, it went to publishing, went to newspapers, and now we are infected by it. You know, I can't tell you how many girls in college that I knew out there protesting back then looked just like AOC and yeah. uh, Rashida. I knew all those girls. They want to get laid like, and they like, want to get high, okay, in college. Now yeah. they're running the country. Yeah, yeah. Well, you also, I, w- I don't know whether you looked at them also and said, I can imagine them being future congresspersons. <laughs> Never. I mean, I don't think you, right, I don't think you We did. laughed at and them. I remember I'm, walking by them and laughing at them because they were so yeah. ridiculous. Now they're the, in charge. The, the city council vote that took place in Oakland the other mm-hmm. day, which is, it's that community. That community graduated and they moved to Oakland and they're ruining Oakland. <laughs> they're, they're demonstrating a lack of moral clarity. Look, I don't even like to drive the freeway in Oakland because it's dangerous because of gun shooting. Yeah. Oakland is a lot more like Gaza than you realize. <laughs> um, Professor Rosenbaum, I wonder if you have some final words for our audience. And believe me when I tell you that our audience includes people from all walks of life, including a large contingency of Christians who are conservatives and they love Israel more than most Jews that I personally know here in California. Freedom is not free. You have to fight for freedom. Freedom can very casually be stripped away. And if you're casual in watching it being stripped away, then you're complicit in, you know, the lack of freedom for everyone, that we will all lose the basic foundational values of the Enlightenment and liberal culture and what the founding fathers of this country sought to achieve in in separating from uh, Britain. And so... What bothers me is the same kind of complacency that I thought Jews and everyone else were told in the 1990s when the Holocaust was hot, meaning Schindler's List. Never again. Yes. Never again. The new, the museum in Washington, uh, all kinds of uh, JCC memorials for uh, Yom HaShoah and for Kristallnacht. That's done. No one does that anymore. No one does Very few cities. In the 90s, I was flying around the country every year for Yom HaShoah and Kristallnacht, speaking at at universities, at synagogues, JCCs, federations. No one really does that anymore. But I thought that never again meant something. And what I'm saying is, if you look at the passiveness, not just of Jews, but everyone, the casualness with which they step back and go, you know, what, what can I do? Who am I to interfere? It's the same language of the bystander. It's the language. The bystander is always the majority. That's the irony. The bystander doesn't understand that he or she has all the power in the world. The bystander is deluded by the people shouting the loudest, right, with angry teeth like we see. They're just clowns. They're nobodies uneducated nobodies, and they should not be treated as something that's important. But the bystanders, for the most part, again, Jews and non-Jews, be very careful how casual you are, because the people of Iran, women, feminists of Iran, overnight were wearing hijabs and have not stopped wearing hijabs and were be subject to husband beating them at night and knowing that there was no remedy for that. 
Uh, I have friends from Iran. I've had many students from Iran that finally made it to America, moved to Los Angeles, went to law school in the East Coast. I know a lot. I know a lot about this. Everyone is surprised at how fast it goes, how quickly the rights of Berlin Jews were taken away. And so to be casual and to not recognize that freedom is not free, that it must be fought for, and it doesn't necessarily mean you carry a gun. You might need a gun, but you might not need a gun. But if you're not standing up with moral judgment and moral clarity and saying, I'm not accepting moral relativism, I am a reasonable person, and I'm able to recognize right from wrong. This is right, and this is wrong, and I'm happy to say this is wrong. And I just think that is what we're afraid to do. We're afraid to come out and say, well, it's too complicated. There's much too much nuance. The people that are taking away your freedoms are not worried about complexity. They're not worried about nuance. They can't spell nuance. They're just mad. They hate themselves. They hate America. They hate Jews. And they want to burn it down. Think about the last few years, the pulling down of statues. The defacing of buildings with red paint, the defacing of monuments, right? Just think about the desecration of houses of worship, right? The burning of police cars, the torching of police precincts, the smash and grabbing of San Francisco, the violence and vandalism. They all have one thing in common, violence, tearing stuff down, tearing stuff down. And if you don't stop this, it can only get worse. There's no way to stop it but early. And I'm, I fear that we're, we're a little late. Sometimes the only thing that stops violence is greater violence. Professor, before I let you go, could you please tell our audience where they can see more of you and where they can find and read your work? So I have a website, ThaneRosenbaum.com, which means that everything is on there, the essays, all the public appearances, all the future events. For years, I've been uh, uh, an analyst on Newsmax. I'm the legal analyst for CBS News Radio, uh, and I appear on uh, News Nation fairly regularly. Um, I'm out there, uh, and I'm you know mostly I'm also out there mostly being shouted down. So I could use a few friends. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for coming on the AJ Steele Show. I wish you continued success, and I hope that we meet again in better times. We will, AJ. And let me just say, I want to. Thank you for this podcast and for the opportunity to be on it, because I'm telling you, you are standing among the righteous. And Thank you. This, this entire process, this entire enterprise that you've created is among the righteous, and you should feel that every day. All I really want to be is a guy that gets the AJ Steele Show, copyrighted 2023.